And I was devastated when she said, I have nothing for you, because I knew in my heart that there was something that she had that was for so me. So why did she do that? What, what, what's this all about at this point? What, why? I didn't know why my stepmother said that to me, but I realized I was never going to get it until my friend on July 19th said to me, out of the blue, your stepmother has something and you're going to get it. It's something that belongs to you. The second she said that to me, I knew it was like suddenly I had hope and faith again. Knowing when to break through the boundaries of average to question the unquestionable is the sign of greatness. It's those moments when you get to the absurd stage that things truly get interesting. Now the world is in need of a new generation of leaders, leaders who have the courage to break through the boundaries and question everything around them. Well, society is yearning for bold and enthusiastic women and men to provide the necessary leadership that will be required for the next leap forward. The journey to get to the brink can be unpredictable, but knowing you're at the brink, pure genius, my friends, today we are on the brink of greatness. Everybody handles uh, their, those moments, that despair, differently. We all handle depression differently, too, don't we? I mean, it's all, everybody's different. You just don't know what's going to impact one person, impact somebody different in a different way. But another thing is I want to point out to everybody, I think stress and anxiety as a whole. i got to tell you something up, just up front here, people, profound. We worry about more stuff in our lives. I'm talking about as people now. We tend to worry about worrying. <laughs> Think about it. We worry about things that will never come true. That's another problem is we tend, a lot of people live in the past. They don't live in the future. They live in the past and they're always looking back. Of course, you can't fix the past. You can't change the past. You can't do nothing with the past. The only thing the past is good for, in fact, is as a, a roadmap, as a lesson forward. You know, there's a, there's a saying I use that uh, use the rearview mirror 10% of the time in your life, use the front window 90% of the time and you'll be better off. It's my 90-10 rule, you know, in many ways. We got one of those stories today on the brink of greatness, friends, and I'd like you to meet her now. And it's a, she was at the very low part of her life. And I want to tell you, can you imagine going through the death of a loved one that, you, that was profound for you? That, and there was a reason. Somebody that you were very close to, somebody really, really important to you, but the way it happened was maybe unjust, and maybe the way it was presented to you was wrong. And you felt, you felt wrong about it. You felt sort of cheated out about it. But then, you know, you get separated from your family, and you get separated from people you love. And so then you end up in a depressed mode on top of that. Then you end up in a strange place, and you end up in a potentially a place somewhere with no furniture sleeping on the floor for a, mo a month. Well, let's talk about that today. I'd like you to meet Lisa Williams. And she was at that low point of her life after coming through uh, a traumatic event. Lisa, let's bring it right to the point of, I, I think probably it's going to be that point in the hospital. And it was your dad who, who passed away, correct? Yes. Yeah. And what was it? Uh, there's something about to help me bring the story forward for us from this point. It's on a defibrillator, correct? 
Yes, he had a pacemaker with a defibrillator. Yeah, and what? And there was a relative who said something to you. It was a moment of panic. Take it from that point and bring it forward, please. What happened? Yeah, so um, most of my siblings were in the room with my stepmother, and they just um, disconnected his defibrillator so that way something happened. It wouldn't shock his heart. And um, the rest of my family members were crying, as everybody was. And I wasn't crying yet, and I suddenly started to cry. And then suddenly, my stepmother screamed out, Lisa, stop crying. He's going to hear you, like really loud and screeching. And at that point, I just was in such shock that I didn't know what I was going to do. I, I actually jumped to just jumped to like go at her almost. And luckily, my brother just um, calmed me down and just told me to just, he just stopped me and just pushed me and hugged me. Hmm. And uh, at that moment, everybody just stopped crying. It was just like dead silence from hmm. a moment of really just being in the moment of what just happened to suddenly just silence. Yeah. Lisa, what was your relationship before that event? What was your relationship like with your stepmom? Um, it was a very difficult relationship for me because I always try to, you know, be there for my father and accept whoever he was with. Um, but yet, she just never seemed to like me. I was going to. That, that, I was just going to ask you that. Did she like you? I mean, do you? Did you? Well, you felt she didn't like you. Clearly, right? No, I never. I always knew she didn't like me for some reason. I, just because I don't know. Because I was close to my father. I loved my father. I really couldn't understand why. Because I always felt that you could. There's so many different kinds of love. Right. And I never understood it. And although I even did so many things for her, she still, no matter what, seemed to just reject me. Yeah. You know what happens in a lot of those situations It's it's uh, that I find anyways is jealousy plays a big part of this. It's really hard in these families when you have multiple families that have reconnected, like you say, stepmother or stepfather or stepsisters, stepbrothers. And there seems to be jealousy is a big part of that, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah. I definitely felt that. Yeah, I think it is. I think So I want to tell you something. So your stepmother. So think about this, people. So you're in the hospital now. Your dad is just, they just disconnect him. Everybody's grieving. And you're grieving as well. And you were crying. Is that the problem that bothered your stepmother? Yes, that I started to cry too. And, and everybody else was crying. But why did she say that to you? That's what I could not believe. I couldn't believe at that moment that still, at that moment, that she would still pick that moment to be the moment that she still was annoyed by me. Well, I got off my feet because I was ready to fly. And I realized at that time, I said, this is not going to be good. I'm going to be arrested any second. And I knew it <laughs> because I, I, I accept, and I accepted whatever was going to happen to me. But my brother, other brother was there and um, he's such a big guy that he just, he saw what was happening and he just took me and held me down as, as much as he could because mm -hmm. he saw what was going to happen. Oh. And then I just, you know, waited it out and nobody said anything. All right. So, so the shock to you and the shock to your system of this stepmom now, which you didn't have a really great relationship with to begin with, who now says this to you and screams this out in the room, I guess, is what you're saying. Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. So that had a profound impact on you, obviously. But what happened? For, I mean, that was a turning point, clearly. But take us from there. What happens if, if we move from the hospital room now? How do you get from there to this next low, low, low point of, and I don't know what time went by before you was in, your, in that apartment in, where was you, in New York at that point? Yes. So in this initially, the, the death of your father was in where? What part of the country? He was in Georgia. Georgia. So now you're in New York. What brought you to New York, by the way? I moved here because I got a scholarship um, to pay for my college and to work for United Cerebral Palsy in New York City. So that was part of the scholarship. So that's why I moved to New York City. So you had a reason to do it. Yes. Yeah. So now you're in New York. So so you have this potential scholarship and all of this. But what happens now? You're still you're how are you dealing with all this with the stepmom and what happened with the family? And what, what, bring us forward. What happens? So after that happened, I was so it was such a profound moment that I was traumatized by it because I felt like I was finally crying. And at that moment, it was such a precious moment I thought for all of us as a family to be together and I felt like it was taken away from me and not just from me but from all of us and the fact that nobody spoke up and said anything to her because everybody always wanted to be at peace or you know not really be upset with her or have her upset with us I was I couldn't get over the fact that nobody said anything in front of me or tried to say hey this is not right. What are you doing? Oh, so hold on now. So everybody was a little silent about it. But, you know, families are kind of like that, I think. They kind of think sometimes like like it will go away on its own or something, right? And you were insulted by that, huh? Yes, I was just taken back that at such a profound moment that still nobody said anything. Hmm. So nobody was as outraged as you were, huh? I think they were outraged because everybody stopped crying themselves. But I don't know if anybody knew how to deal with it exactly do you or what th- to say do you, to her. Do you think it's possible that your stepmom was talking to everybody and not just you? Or why did you feel like you were singled out? Because she said, Lisa, oh. stop crying. He could hear you. And she said it so loud and so mean. It was that kind of, it was the the voice and the the loudness and that he could hear us. And what I felt like the whole time in the hospital when he wasn't that they were talk. He, she was talking about him like he couldn't hear anything, and I knew he could hear everything going on. And when she said he could hear you at that moment, mm-hmm. where all the days prior, they were talking about him like he wasn't even listening, got me the most. Oh, That's boy. what really did me in when she said that he could hear you. And I thought to myself, now you think he could hear us? Where? What about? the days that you were talking about nursing homes and this and that and, you know. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I hear that a lot. That's uh, that's a profound thing because sometimes you hear people when they're on their deathbed where they say they can still hear you or take it in, right, in their in their mind or their brain or something, right? I mean. Absolutely. You never know what people can hear. That's right. That's right. I mean, do you think your, your stepmom just deals with grief in a different way maybe than you do? that that's just her way is to kind of like, you know, take care of business. And she just maybe couldn't handle that emotion of crying. And she just didn't know what else to do. But yeah, but the, uh, I wasn't the one crying alone. You know, everybody was crying and I wasn't louder than anybody else. 
yeah, everyone deals with grief so differently. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, I'm not sure if your stepmom was just handles emotion differently and, and loving differently. And she's more business than say, you know, like, you know, Keely is my wife is like a warm fuzzy, you know, where she would go out and hug everyone. But if she's having troubles already with a stepmom and they don't have the relationship and the stepmom singles her out on the deathbed of her dad because of the crying and then says that and then says he can hear you after, as she said, many days of them talking in the room when they said that they, he, she, he couldn't hear and now all of a sudden he can hear, something doesn't add up, Lisa. Yes, that's what disturbed me the most. Yeah, something doesn't add up, I guess, with that. All right. What happens now with your family? Because this was a low point, but this wasn't the lowest point. It gets lower for you because now, as you're now dealing with the death of your dad and you're dealing with the stepmom who did what she did, what about the siblings and the rest of it? Uh, Now, and how did you, what I'm trying to do is let's connect that to the point of how you ended up in New York. Was you still talking with your family? Weren't you talking with your family? Were Were they helping you through this or was there a total disconnection? Yeah, I think there was a disconnection after that with me because um, because the whole time in the hospital, I really had the most experience because I used to be a clinic administrator, and I always have a gift on seeing what was going to happen next with people and their health. And I felt during the time at the hospital that I was not allowed to do what I was best at doing for him. Which was what? to understand medical needs and to see, I saw what was gonna happen next every time that it happened. And I kept saying, please don't do this, or I wouldn't do that, or this is not right, let's not do this. I mean, even in the end, the hospital got why he was there completely wrong. It was just one thing after the other. Lisa, what is your background? Is your is it in medical, you say? Yes, so I, um, I was I was a physical therapist, and then I was promoted two years after that as a clinic administrator. So I used to run the whole medical system for United Cerebral Palsy in New York City. I see. So all of the medical services for people with developmental disabilities. And you have a doctorate in physical therapy? Yes, I also have a doctorate in physical therapy. Wow. So it's actually Dr. Lisa Williams. That's, yes. Well, uh, see, we've been addressing you incorrectly then. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, you've got all kinds of degrees here. You're, you're what they call a pedigree. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> I think, yeah. <laughs> all right, so the next low moment, when you got to that moment, that pivotal moment of impact, when you, know, when you knew that it was as bad as it could be, where were you, and what did that look like? As bad as it could be was then was a year, almost a year after my father died, um, I decided I was going to move and get a divorce. It was a, before that I knew I was going to get a divorce. And um, I decided that I was just going to start over. And uh, I ended up moving. And I didn't take anything with me. I didn't have, I left everything, basically, except some clothes and a, like a, two folding chairs. And I ended up getting an apartment. The lowest point was not being able to get an apartment at first in the city. And then I finally found one. And when I found it, I just moved with two folding chairs, a bike, a stationary bike so I could exercise. And that's it. And so the lowest moment was sleeping on the floor for probably at least four to five weeks until I got the mattress that I wanted and not sleeping at all. 
and just being super depressed and just not knowing how he's going to get up every day. So now you've sunk to the lowest point of your life. That was definitely the lowest point of my life ever, even even more than me being really sick in my life. I was sick for a long time, and even that was easier mm-hmm. than it was at, at this point in yeah. my life. And where, while all this was going on, could you count on anybody? Was you talking to anybody, or was, you, was it just yourself? I couldn't. Well, that was the thing. I, I didn't tell anybody I moved. Almost nobody knew what I was going through. I couldn't, I couldn't even tell people and say help to anybody because I'm always the one that was helping other people because of my job. Right. So I, I live for always helping other people. Okay. So right. I just wow. prayed wow. to God that I would just, I would just have patience to help that day so I could actually just get up and have a reason to, to get up and help somebody else. Yeah. And do I understand prior to this you were married? Is that right or no? Yes. Yeah. True. And and where was this? It was you now divorced or was you going through a divorce or what happened there? Yes. Um so after my father died, I uh right after that I realized that my life will never be the same and I was I felt like I had post traumatic stress disorder from what happened to me. Um not only in the hospital and not being able to help my father and having him say to me, "Please help me. Please get me out of here." Um, and I couldn't do anything. And then suddenly I realized nothing will ever be the same. I was so traumatized by what happened in the hospital. And I felt like my whole life and everything I tried to do with my job and all my schooling and everything just meant nothing. Right. And I right. couldn't use it on my own family. All right. So what's interesting about this story, friends, now is that it begins to take a turn. There's a moment that happens Lisa is in a whole different place today, clearly. But when I look at also your background and credentials and who you were, I mean, it's all good. I mean, you're a vibrant person with great skill sets and everything that you're doing. But so a lot of, you know, what I want to do, if we share the moment with you, Lisa, a lot of people go through these really difficult, dark moments. I mean, depression is real and depression is a big problem out there. And some people don't get through it. Some people live their lives and other people commit suicide from it. Uh, did, did that ever come? Was you ever suicidal? There were times that I said, I don't know why I'm going on. I mean, I just said it was so bad because when I was sleeping on the floor, I couldn't, I couldn't sleep. So I wasn't sleeping at all. And I wasn't eating. And so there are, yes, yeah, so there were times that I said, why am I even here? This is ridiculous, you know. And then I just try to focus on something. So you never, you never tried to take your life or anything then, but the thoughts kind of were fleeting through your mind, huh? Oh, on it, yes. Yeah. Every day I said, I don't really want to get up today. Why am I even doing this? Well, you're depressed. This is, you're depressed. I was depressed. Yeah. I was so depressed and I couldn't ask for help. And then I felt very isolated because nobody was reaching out to me. What, what, on, a da- on a daily basis, did you find yourself crying a lot? Was you crying with oh, that depression constantly? I was crying constantly. Wow, wow. If I was home, I was crying. If I, if I knew I had a patient or somebody I could help, right. then I was, I was all in. And okay. I was so happy. All right. There's a pivotal moment to this story, though, where it turns, something happens, and it takes a turn. And we'll talk about that, uh, friends. Uh, I think a lot of people can and should relate to this story, though, to Lisa's story. Uh, there, 
it, to me, it's a Brink story because of what happens and what Lisa's doing now and what her goal in life is and to helping other people go through these things. Again, well, being, a, again, a doctor in physical therapy and her, the background of what she does, like you said, you're all about helping people. So anyways, let's, we're going to pause here a moment here. We'll be right back just a moment, friends, with Lisa Williams. We're on the brink of greatness today. Be back with you in a moment. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world to unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. News blogs, informative podcasts, and entertaining videos. It's AmericaOutloud.com, where the conversation never ends. With 24-7 streaming on our free apps on both Android and Apple. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. All right, friends, we're back on the brink of greatness here. We're with Lisa Williams, and uh, uh, this is uh, it's a very personal story that probably you, a lot of you out there can relate to this story. Because let's face it, you know the old saying that, you know, what do they say, Lisa, like... Um, uh, what, like blood is thicker than water or you can't pick your relatives but you can pick your friends right I mean all those isms that are out there you know right I mean yeah everybody should have a couple of relatives they'll drive you crazy I mean come on I mean the lines are goes on and on I mean really though relatives can be some people are lucky some people are blessed I gotta tell you I am always jealous of people who have great families and relationships and like they're perfect like I'm jealous of those people you know Huh? That's my wife. Is that right? That's my wife again. Oh, well, she can talk to her sister every day. Yeah. They, I think they talk to each other almost every day. Some and then her like parents that. call once a week, and, and they're on the phone for about an hour. So that is my wife. Yeah, some she people a, are like that. They perfect. have great families. Yep. They're able to do this, and I, I'm very envious of those. Uh, I don't have that in my own life. Lisa, if I told you my stories, I'd probably top yours. <laughs> <laughs> but that's beside the point. Oh, that's a good thing. I know, I know. But let's get back to your story here. So, all right. So you're at this point now. I mean, I can see you there. I can actually see you in the room, and I can relate to this. So you're in this apartment. You're up in a strange place. You're in a new environment. You've just you're going through a divorce. You're not talking to your family. You lost your dad. Your mother-in-law was not really kind when all this happened. You're at this point of life is kind of spiraling away and you're questioning everything and what the purpose is and what's happening. And depression is real. Depression is really real. And the anxieties and the stress that we put onto ourselves, and you know full well, Lisa, as a as someone who understands physical therapy, somebody that understands the, the, the medical field and healthcare and you, you know what that does to our systems and to our bodies. Uh, when stress and anxieties, they'll, they, that will kill us. Yes. I mean, it will destroy you. And it will create all kinds of health problems. And it's, it's bad. I really feel for that when we go through. I think depression and despair is real for people. Mental health is so important, isn't it? You see that today with so many people that are struggling with that. I want to know now what I, what I call 
when you get to the brink. So there's a point where you get to, Lisa, in this story now, where it's a turning point. It's it, Things are absurd. You're almost in the absurdity stage. Like, yes. like really, though, I know, right? Come on. Yes. It can't definitely. get any worse. You're in the absurdity stage. You're questioning everything. You're questioning how yeah. come, why, what, why is this, why is that? I mean, you're, you're actually about really, you're at the verge of probably going crazy. Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I know. And so now you're there. So what is it that snaps you out of this thing? So tell me, this is big. This is important. What happens next that changes everything for you? What changed everything is a friend of mine who I've been friends with for 20 years. Um, We really haven't spoken that much out of the blue. And she has no idea what's happened to me. In June, just recent June, she texts me out of the blue and said, I'm praying for you and I'm lifting you up. And I couldn't believe that she texted me that out of the blue. Did she know and you I were did she know you were at this point or level? Did she know she anything? She had no idea, but she told me later on that she felt that I was at the lowest point wow. of my life. She was really worried for me. Profound. And she just kept saying, I knew at that point that you never have been this low and, and I was really worried about you. Lisa and th- that is profound. Yes. I couldn't believe it. So you were stunned. I was stunned, and I felt for the first time that somebody felt what I was going through and understood and reached out to me first with me not having to say help when I couldn't ask for help. You couldn't ask for help, you felt, because you were that low and at that moment, but now you felt somebody was, okay. So this is that friend who's a good friend, obviously. I've been friends with her. She used to work for me. Um... When I was a clinic administrator, she worked for me and we became good friends, but we just, she moved and we just didn't talk to each other that regularly anymore. Okay. So she calls you out of the blue. She says this, what happens now? She texts me out of the blue and she wanted to talk to me, but I, I said to her, I, I just can't talk yet. I, I wasn't capable of telling people what was happening to me because I didn't know what to do. And then out of the blue, a uh, few weeks later, she texts me. And she sends me pictures of a place that she went to, which is called Lilydale. And she went there for her birthday, July 8th, in order to. And she didn't really want to go. And she didn't know why she was going. But she went with somebody. And when she got there, she realized that the reason she went there was to pray for me. And she sent me a picture that she wrote my name on a ribbon in in a healing center. And she sent me another picture that she was there, and there's a house that was on the property called Lisa Williams. And she couldn't believe that she was at a place that she didn't want to be at. And suddenly she realized the whole trip was for me. And the only reason she was there was to pray for me and for my healing. Unbelievable. And so she just kept sending me all these pictures and messages saying, I love you. I'm thinking about you. Here's your name on this ribbon with a whole bunch of other ribbons of people's names. I can't believe there's a house here called Lisa Williams. And she took a sign and the Buddha and a temple. And she sent me all these pictures and just kept saying, I love you. This trip is for you. I'm praying for you. Why I'm here is because of you. That's amazing. So is this the turning point? Yes. And so this is the start of it. And then I never spoke to her, but she just kept, I'd say, I'll speak to you soon, but I'm just not ready. And she said, okay. And then on July 19th, not that long after that, I finally said to her, I need to speak to you. 
you're the first person I really need to tell what happened to because I knew she would never judge me and I knew she understood because she knew already what was happening even though she didn't, I don't know how she knew. And I called her on her phone and we spoke about everything that happened and I kept waiting for her to say, oh gosh, what did you do or why did you do it? She never said anything to me. She just said to me, I went there for you, I prayed for you and you're and I kept hearing a voice, and the voice was your father, and he kept telling me that I needed to help you. I need to help you, and I need to pray for you. And then she said to me, I want you to know that your stepmother is going to give you something that's not hers to keep. It's yours, and you're going to get it, and it's going to bring you peace. How did she know that? I have no idea. But what she, And I told her at the time that what you don't know is that a few weeks ago, Shelly, I called my stepmother. For the, I called her only twice after my father died. Once was to say, I forgive you. I hope you forgive me. And the second time was right before Shelly and I spoke, which was, um, I said, I know you have something that my father wants me to have. He comes to me in a dream. I know you have it. I Please give it to me. And she said to me, I don't have anything for you. I don't know why you're asking me. There's nothing here for you. And then I just said, okay, goodbye. And I said to myself, this would be the last time I'd ever speak to her again. So you called her to do this? Yes. And Shelly didn't know I called her. And I was devastated when she said, I have nothing for you. Because I knew in my heart that there was something that she had that was so for me. So why did she do that? What, what What's this all about at this point? What, why? I didn't know why my stepmother said that to me. But... I realized I was never going to get it until my friend on July 19th said to me, out of the blue, your stepmother has something and you're going to get it. It's something that belongs to you. The second she said that to me, I knew it was like suddenly I had hope and faith again because I'm a very, I have a lot of hope and faith all the time except for this time period of my life. Mm -hmm. And suddenly, as soon as she said it, I knew 100% without a doubt that I was going to get it. I don't know how, and I didn't know where, but I knew for sure that I doubt in my mind that I was going to get what was coming to me, and it would bring me peace. Okay. Well, let's tell everybody, what is the something that you thought you were going to get? So, the, and then what happened, one more thing, is that I spoke to Shelly again because my sister had gotten a box for my stepmother because I had made sure I told my stepmother when I spoke to her that I had moved. So she knew right away that I was now not where I was before. Mm -hmm. So she wouldn't send anything if she decided to to the other address. Mm -hmm. And when I, my sister texted me and said, you got a box in the mail for my stepmother. And I told Shelly and right away, Shelly said to me, she called me and she said, it's jewelry. And I said, Shelly, how do you know that? She said, it's jewelry and you're going to get it. And so time went on and I realized that I had to, I was thinking, how was I going to get this for my sister? Because I wasn't going to see her. I wasn't capable of really traveling and seeing people unless they came to me. And it was, it was jewelry that was his um, medical alert bracelet, which was all gold. Mm-hmm. And he wore it all the time. And that was the piece of jewelry that I knew was coming to me. So when I finally got it in the mail, I asked my sister, could you please send me the box? Because I realized from July 23rd until then, it was just going to be too long. And I had to have whatever it was. 
And then I received the box in the mail and I opened it up and there was a couple of things of his, but it was what I wanted, which is the bracelet that he wore all the time. And then um, I received it in the mail. And then after that, it was the first time over 14 months that I finally wrote a gratitude journal again, which I've had many journals. And I stopped writing what I was grateful for, for a while. And it was the first one I got. I bought a new book and it was, and I wrote August 11th, my first day of peace. When you got this piece that was your, it was a piece of your dad. Yes, it was his bracelet. And I put it on every Mm -hmm. single day when I come home now. As soon as I come in the door, I put it right on my wrist. This is only last August, correct? This just happened. It was 14 months after he died. Was it August 20, uh, when? August 11th that I wrote. It was my first day of peace. Of 2018? Yes. So this just happened. This is brand new. Yes. Wow. This just happened. And before you got that in the mail, do I understand you still didn't really know what was going to be in the box, right? You didn't really know, or did you know it was going to be that tag, the, the, the gold tag? No, I wasn't sure at all what it was going to be. Okay. I asked my sister to take a picture of it and open the box right away. And then she t- took a picture and I saw that it was, and I was looking for the bracelet, some kind of bracelet. And she took a picture. So somehow or another, that gave you hope again. And you started to look at, it, it, what was it? it? That gave you peace, obviously. But it was the connection back to that your dad, back to that what had happened? Um, yes, right? it was because I knew he wanted me to have it. And I knew that he knew that this bracelet would give me peace. And it was a part of him and his energy of just being. Yeah. And it wasn't yeah. like a big money thing. It wasn't anything to do with that. It was the fact that mm-hmm. he wanted me to have it. And I still couldn't understand why, even in his wishes, that he wanted me to have it, that I still wasn't getting it. Right, right. It was just another thing of, are you kidding me? Yeah. It's just a bracelet. Right, right. But yeah. no, no, you said the key thing just a moment ago here. The key part of this, Lisa, and I think you know this, is energy. Yes. See, everybody the exchange of energy. Everybody has energy. We are forces of energy. And you're right when you say that. And even when we're not here, when we go to the next level of our lives or when we move on from this life here, that energy is still here. That energy is there. So your dad's energy is within that piece and that's what you're that piece of jewelry the tag and that's what you're feeling that's the energy that's your dad's energy that's exactly right it was the exchange of energy yeah 100% 100% and we all have energy and I'm not and it doesn't necessarily have to be a piece of jewelry you you know that Lisa as well you know that yeah could be anything yeah our energy stays here I mean our energy continues on so we're we're making a, a, a you know Listen, we're making a moment. We're we're making this life count, people. But we also, our energy is going to be here forever. So we've got to make it really count, you see? Yeah? And it makes a difference. It really makes a difference. Okay. Wow. I am, I'm blown away. I didn't really know all of that. So now, you've, now you, you're back to journaling. And I understand you're writing poems. And I want to talk about all that ahead. I want to talk about what you're doing. But here's the thing, people. The reason... This story gets even more interesting, and I, and I love this already. I'm, I'm talking to Lisa today for the very first time, as you all are, and I love her energy. You can feel her energy on the line here, clearly. You can all feel that. There's, there's no doubt about it. Energy's a big deal. 
But there's another piece to this. You'll also all, all know, notice him while Kevin is very quiet on the line here. You notice he hasn't said much. There's a reason why. It's a big reason why. Kevin is also a piece of the story. We're going to tell you more about what that piece of that story is just after the break, friends. We're on the brink of greatness today with Lisa Williams. Be back with you in a moment. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. All right, I am loving this story for a lot of reasons because there's hope out there, people. There's hope. We all got to have hope. Lisa, you said earlier, you're, I love what you said about being an optimist. Your glass is half full, right? Always, or, right? Always. Yeah. And I love that about you. I can feel that. That's how I am in my life. I'm an optimist. Uh, we, we are on the, we're on the bright side of the mountain, right? <laughs> that's what we see. We, we like that part of it. And um, that's what... I want everybody to grab that part of it, that optimism, that there's something more out there. So you hear Lisa's story in coming through depression and despair and disconnection and trauma and where that goes in her life and the, the roads and the twists and the turns that it takes. There's another part where Lisa is totally removed from everybody and you then you think nobody really cares. And of course... People probably thought you wanted your space, I'm thinking, Lisa, maybe. I don't know. Could that possibly be it, do you think, Lisa? Oh, yes, definitely. Everybody, you know, when it came up with my family, they all thought I had messaged them at one point. Right. And they took it as almost like a contract when I just said I need a little bit of time. Right. You know, right. and it was just a contract of truth, and that was it. Yeah. I, I want to ask you one other thing before we then, let's bring Kevin into this conversation, but I want to ask you one other thing. The fact now that this particular person had sent that piece of jewelry, knowing it, knowing it was important to you, she was, I'm going to guess now, I don't know, but I'm going to say to you, she didn't have to do that. Is that yes or no, correct? Oh, that's definitely correct. Okay. She did it. Now, to do that, that, do you think in some way, maybe possibly, potentially, Lisa? Was that her way of giving you an olive branch? Was that her way of trying to bring you peace? Maybe that's her way of knowing that she screwed up a little bit as well. Is, is it possible? Well, I think it helped when I told her that my father kept coming to me in a dream, which was true, and kept saying to me that she has something that I need. And I believe that by me being really uh, just, I just told her the way that it is. Without any judgment, I just said, there is something you have that I need to have. He wants me to have it, and he wants you to give it to me. I think that alone made her think, wow, maybe that's true. Yeah. And, I, and in case that is true, I don't want to be a part of it not happening. Right, right, right. Do you think 
you will ever talk to your mother-in-law again? Or are you holding I a don't. grudge against her? No, I, I, I can't hold a I have to forgive everybody. And that's why the that's first it. call I ever made to her was, I forgive you. I hope you forgive me. And I had to do that because if you don't forgive somebody, that means that you're going to be connected to them forever in some way. Yep, that damage is and done to you. Yeah, there's yes. a lesson there, big lesson, big lesson, people. Very big. We hold these, we hold these, and, and let's face it, there are people who piss you off in this life. I mean, I'm talking to everybody here, including myself, by the way, and we sort of want to hold them at a distance. We probably don't trust them, but then we, we internalize all this negative, well, back to energy, Lisa, it's that negative energy. You see, we internalize it, right? Right? Yes. And that's where it does harm and damage to ourselves then, which really kind of stinks at that point, but it's not a good thing. But it's hard sometimes to forgive and forget. I think I'm talking to everybody now, Lisa. Don't you think that's tough sometimes, right? Oh, it's very tough. But yeah. I, I've learned over time that I don't want to be sick and I don't want to, you know, I always say the truth is in front of you and forgiveness is behind you, meaning you have to forgive. Mm -hmm. And that way you could just keep going on with your life. Yeah. Yeah. And then you'll see the truth of something. Yeah. But if you're holding on to something, then it's going to be clouded in your mind about why you're here and yeah. what you're going to do next. You know, Lisa, I want you to know something. This is actually helping me out as well because there's somebody who did something very bad to me in my life uh, that was very close that I've held. A, I don't want to say a grudge because I don't like grudges. And I'm, again, being an optimist. But the the hurt was profound. And... It's hard to forgive. I, I, I don't talk to this person anymore, and I, I haven't been able to forgive them, really. You understand? Yes, I do. And I've held that. It's, it's there, <laughs> and it really stinks. And you're helping me now see that. Yeah. That's harming me, isn't it? You know? Yes, yeah. I think it internalizes you and makes you sick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah so let well, me tell you uh, a little story. Please. Yeah, so when we were, uh, of course, on Lisa's brother... And when we were at the, our dad's funeral, you know, one of the things that I had, I was one of the people who spoke. And one of the things I talked about is letting go of grudges or things of that nature. And I shared with everybody there, which was really for the first time to everybody in a group and even my family other than my wife. And when I was really young, I, I went to the uh, local delicatessen and my brother owed me money, my older brother, Chris. And in that particular store, he said that he didn't know me and I wasn't his brother. And I had held on to that for like, you know, 40, 50 years. And I finally let that go roughly there at the, you know, at the funeral at, at, when I said the eulogy. And typically like all these situations where somebody offends you, the other person has no idea it happened. So here you are the whole time worried about it. And the other person had no idea there was any problem. So when I said it, Chris looked at me like I, I had no clue. So, you know, like I said, you hold on to things that really impacted mine and his relationship just because of something I wouldn't let go and wouldn't forgive him, you know, from when I was eight years old. Mm, wow. So grudges do, yeah, you can't hold on to them and they do impact your life. Hmm. Yeah, in a big way, buddy. All right, so everybody knows now, Kevin, the, Lisa is Kevin's uh, sister, their sister and brother. And Kevin, you weren't, you were not in the room when that happened, when that incident happened, huh? Right. It's uh, my wife, you know, like we said, had pancreatic cancer, so she has to eat at a certain period of time every day, and she also gets tired. 
uh, easily. So periodically, you know, we'd come early in the morning, stay, and then go eat, and then come back for the afternoon, and then have to go back out, you know, for, eat for dinner. And it happened, it must have happened, you know, after we had left. And so I wasn't there part of that. I got the call saying they were going to unplug and, you know, that dad would probably pass away. Um, but I wasn't there for the, you know, the, uh, the, the, the situation of the, the, uh, you know, Lisa okay. spoke right. about. So that's why you weren't let there. Me, let me tell you, let me, yeah, so let's just tell a, a little story. So I had called Joan, who is the stepmother. Okay. And I had asked her about the bracelet. Because I was curious, what drove her to send the bracelet to Lisa? All right, cool. And I, you know, I, I was just curious because I said, was it something that, you know, like Lisa felt like, you know, dad was, you know, let her know? Was it like some sort of feeling? Was it, what was it? And she says, when Lisa called her, she knew what it was. She knew it was going to be the bracelet. And one of the challenges that Joan has been having, and my my son went to visit Joan, just to you know visit and say hi with his uh, kids. Was she's been trying to as she gives stuff away to other people of my dad, she feels like she's giving part of my father away or from her. So she's struggling as she's giving these things to everybody else, is because it's kind of like a piece of him being you know, like given away and she doesn't have it anymore and she's losing more and more of him. So just like Lisa's struggling, I think Joan is struggling probably, you know, in similar, a similar fashion. So she did, she right away, she knew what it was. She sent it to our, my uh, sister, Mary Ellen. And this is how we heard about the story about Mary Ellen receiving it and then forwarding it, you know, sending the box to, to Lisa. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and and they were as I understand it, your stepmom and dad were married a very long time, right? Yep, they they were. I think it was around uh, ninety one or ninety two. Uh, I can't remember exactly, but yes, long time, yeah. Before they had moved to Georgia, yes, and we had moved to North Carolina, so yeah, yeah. it was about that same time. I think it's safe to say, Lisa, that she made a mistake at that pivotal moment when your dad was passing. You know. And to call you out and isolate you was probably not the right thing to do, clearly. And it wasn't certainly how you were grieving, but, you know, she... Everybody grieves differently, I get that. But obviously there was a better way for her to handle it, I guess you think, huh? But uh, you never really know why people do sometimes the things they do, right? That's for sure. I mean, you don't really know. It's probably how she... Yeah, it's probably how she grieves. It happened again when, after my dad had passed away and we all came to the room you know to kind of because he had passed away to kind of get together and mm-hmm. kind of grieve together mm-hmm. we were probably in the room for a short time and jones says let's get up and go uh, we, we got to leave and so that was kind of a painful moment for everyone because everyone wanted to stay longer mm-hmm. um so you know i i was fortunate enough to go over and say we just need a little bit more time but her personality is really to just kind of move on. It's like, I can't grieve, it's, it's done, and now I have to move on with my life. And so that's kind of always been her personality. It's like, okay, you know, I'm, I got to get it done, let's move on and, and get on to the next chapter. And she sounds like a controlled person as well, right? Yeah, her and she I. Does. I think what happened with her and I was uh, years ago before that was a difficult moment. It was when my father was at the hospital. 
uh, another time with heart stuff and I and I saw again that he was the care was not good it was during the Thanksgiving which the medical staff wasn't there and I kept seeing that things were going really really wrong and I kept trying to advocate for him and see all these things that were happening and she, I don't think she liked the fact that I was inter she thought I was interfering and I kept saying you know, listen, he's going to have a stroke because they don't have him on the medication he's supposed to be on. They stopped mm. the blood thinners, and I was saying all these things that I saw coming, and he ended up having a stroke. And uh, I think it was just, it was difficult for right. another person sometimes to have somebody trying to say, hey, I see this is, this is a problem, let's do something, instead of maybe seeing that I was more of an obstacle rather than letting the people do what they're supposed to do. Lisa, you have some big plans and missions. I want to talk, I want to turn the page now and talk about where do we go from here? And because really, you can, again, you can clearly feel your energy and telling the story of where you're at and releasing all of that. Again, we're releasing energy today just with you telling the story and putting it out there is a release of all that, right? I mean, it's a good thing. Yes, good yes, very good. Talk to me where you want to be. Where do you want to go? What do you want to do when you grow up, Lisa? <laughs> well, uh, the, the other thing that kept me going throughout this whole time mm -hmm. is, and what made me say, okay, I have to get up, I have to keep going, is because I, I get messages every day as poetry. And this has been happening for a long time. And so each day I woke up, even though I was so depressed, I would get a message and a, I would write a poem in like two minutes. It would just come to me. And it would even be about something about love or something about faith or hope, even in my, in my great despair. And I was so shocked by that because I was thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm at my lowest point, but I'm still getting these messages. So that must mean I should keep going. And so I've been collecting all of these poems. Which was you are, writing them down when they came to you on a daily basis? So every morning I would... I would write a new one okay. or two or three, and okay. I would also read the ones that I wrote earlier, and I would actually read them, and it would make me cry like I was reading somebody else's poem. And so I would read all my poems out loud and pick one or two, and it would just make, bring me to tears and say, oh my gosh, you're not alone. There's somebody else that feels the way that you feel. It's okay. And because I never took credit for my poems because they just come to me so quickly. Mm -hmm. Like it's almost like a message, you know. Interesting. I'm not a poet. It just comes to me one swoop. I write it down. I never, ever edit it. Mm -hmm. And so I, since my father died, I had a dream of writing a book, and not for my own name, but in order to dedicate it for him, dedicate it to him. Mm -hmm. So my, my first thing I wrote in the book was, you know, this book is dedicated to my father, Charles A. Williams, and I love you more, which is always what we said to each other. And so during this time, even though I was going through all I was going through, I was trying to, I've been getting my book together to try to self-publish it. Hmm. Um, and the book is called, um, you know, Let Me Stand, when others want me to sit aside. And it's a, it's a story kind of about different chapters about how, there were days or days that other people can't really get out of bed. So, for example, the first chapter is called Let Me Lie, which is poetry about loneliness, sadness, emptiness, and grief. The next chapter is called Let Me Transition. So it's almost like 
you're not quite sitting up yet in yeah. bed, which are times that I just kind of want to lie there and I didn't want to get up. And then there's other days that I wanted to just kind of get up and I was more hopeful and, and I had some peace and acceptance. So you want to help people. And this obviously this book is one means and one way to do it. But you want to help people, I, I think, is your I think you say is your purpose, right? Yes, that's my only purpose. I mean, that's and I also want to be able to dedicate my book to my father and have people mm-hmm. and his legacy live on by having my work mm-hmm. with his name. So people could say to me. You know, who is your father? Why, you know, and what about him? And and ask me questions about it. Mm. So every time I even post a poem, it's always saying I dedicate all my work to my father, Charles A. Williams. So people know that that's why I'm doing it. You had a profound relationship um, with dad, obviously. Uh, Kevin, you have a pretty awesome sister, you know. Uh, (laughs) Yes, I have. Yes, I do. I mean, uh, I I can't deny that Lisa went and saw my dad frequently. So probably more frequently than any of of the other kids. I mean, you know, when I was, I guess when my kids were young, we went a lot more frequently because, you know, of school was elementary, the timing and everything. But, you know, as kids got older and they went to, to high school, just the schedules went crazy. So you couldn't go as often. And then life gets in the way. But Lisa never let life get in the way. She made sure she went there, was always there for his birthday like every year. So she did have that closer relationship than, say, uh, a lot of us. Which is why it was so profound upon his death. And that's why that was such a momentous moment for her. What I want to embrace now is the fact of the work you're going to do ahead, Lisa, the fact that you're writing the book, the fact that you want to help other people. And of course, you are a, you're a therapist yourself. I mean, you're, again, Dr. Lisa Williams. This is, you're a doctorate in that as well, right? I mean, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, you're brilliant yourself and you want to help other people and you'll do it through these means. Um, you're, in a, you're in a far better place. How do you feel about, right, the, well, everything right now? How do you feel about the future? Um, I'm, well, I'm feeling much better about the future. Um, one of the things that also helped me was um, that I was lucky that I lived in New York City because there, during the time of my, my really difficult times is that I would find ways to help other people by giving it to them, so giving money to them. So there was a lot of people that were always asking me for money, and I would make sure that I'd walk down the same street all the time be able to give people money, you know, homeless people or whoever asked me. Yeah. And I came up with a idea because I wrote a poem about this once and I would say to them, I could be you and you could be me. Yes. And, yes. and I would say to them, God bless you. And they would, cause they would try to always explain to me why they wanted money. Mm-hmm. And I would say to them, I don't want to know why you want money. It doesn't matter to me. Because some people think if you give money, it's about drugs. Or the, and I didn't even care what the money was for. I just wanted to say to them, it doesn't matter. I could be you and you could be me. Mm-hmm. And meaning that our situations could always get worse. That's right. That's always. Right. And that I needed their blessing as much as they needed me. Mm-hmm. And so I would give them money and not judge them. And the next minute when I said to them, I could be you or you could be me, God bless you. They looked at me right in the eyes and said, no, God bless you. Mm-hmm. And I was the one that walked away. There was that exchange of energy that they left so happy that they weren't judged and with money. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I left saying, 
thank you for blessing me too. Mm. Yeah. Because I could have been you too. I love the fact in the way we've talked about energy today. I have to tell you, I, I love this fact because I don't get a chance to do that enough, Lisa. And it really is about the energy. I mean, I recognize this more and more, and I, I talk to a lot of experts on energy, but I don't get the chance to talk about it as much and embrace it. So I love the fact we brought that up today as much as we have. And I want everybody to understand how important the energy is. And I'm talking, people, the energy we put out there, the energy that we are, the energy when we get up in the morning, the energy that we have as we go to bed at night and rest our head on the pillow. It really is the energy and bringing forth. It's Actually, one of the things I take a lot of pride in myself, Lisa, is people say, well, Malcolm, you always have a lot of energy. That's the one thing I do try to bring to the airwaves and bring to people is energy. It's really about positive energy, but it's about goodwill and really improving humanity. And that's what I see about you, Lisa, I really like. Lisa, do me a favor. I want you to pick out a poem right now. Pick out a poem, uh, something that's not too long, but well, we have just a couple of minutes left here. And I want you to end on that poem. I want you to read it out for everybody as the end in thought. And as Lisa picks out that poem right now, friends, I just want to remind you all that, again, I love these stories. And taking Lisa's story where she went from that point of, again, her dad and the loss, but back to being the, the real trouble that she discovered herself in her apartment with, again, no furniture, very despair, crying. I mean, deep, 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 deep depression at the moment, and how that all changed when that one piece of jewelry connected her with the energy of her dad. Truly, truly amazing. I want to leave you with my end in thought, and then we'll have Lisa deliver her poem. The brink of greatness can only happen when you're willing to push beyond the boundaries and limitations that are holding you back, friends. Don't let anything hold you back. Remember to take the next leap forward. That's what Lisa did in her life. She took the next leap forward. That next leap forward, friends, is what's going to get you there. Remember that. Lisa, I'm going to give you the last word, please, if you would deliver the poem. This one is called Peace Within. Just perhaps we live in eternity just to get to this one moment. This one moment. This one precious moment in time. The past, present, and future meld into one, and each glorious moment is repeated until time stands still and nothing gets in the way. 